Welcome to Bet Parks Presents episode 14. Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Myself, Jason Martinez. There he is, Anthony DeMarco. Feel much better, Ed. I am fucking buzzing today. You were in rough shape last week, and it was yeah. a drag to work with your sorry. I'm kidding, man. I'm, yeah. I'm glad to see that you're feeling better. Yeah, it's a, it was an absolute rough week, and the amount of editing I had to do on my uh, Flyers Daily podcast, because I would just be talking, and then all of a sudden have a cough attack. I'm like, God damn it, I got to start the thought over, and I've had to edit the coughs out. It was a pain in the fucking balls, but um, and, we're, we're by that. And you know what? A lot of people are sick right now. Like yeah, COVID, I, no COVID. I think flu season came early. It's just been real, real tough for everyone uh, this time. Like almost every second person I was speaking to really caught, was dealing with something right around this time. So yeah, it's been brutal. A lot of people got it. A bunch of the kids that play on my son's team got it. One of my assistant coaches has it. It's it's a fucking mess. Um, we got a lot to talk about. Let me tell people about Bet Parks because it's a great casino sportsbook app. Last week was the first week we didn't hit the uh, Broad Street bonus, the Broad Street boost. Uh, so we'll be looking to hit a brushery boost on Wednesday. I'll give that to you on Wednesday's show and also tweet it out as well. But uh, Get the Bet Parks app is simply everything you want in a mobile casino and sportsbook. It's easy to sign up, easy to use. You can bet anything, live in-game betting, play-by-play betting, uh, player performances, same-game parlays, you name it. It's all there for you. And you can still use that promo code Jason750. That'll get you that risk-free bet up to $750. Terms and conditions do apply. So download the Bet Parks app. Uh, today, you do need to be over 21 present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gamble problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Again, on Wednesday's episode, we'll give you the Broad Street boost for Wednesday night as well. Also, November, great time to visit my buds at Conquerville Subaru. Fantastic dealership on Route 202 in Glen Mills. Check out their pre-owned inventory. Pick from a list of incoming vehicles. It's a beautiful showroom, and uh, it's more than just a dealership. Great, great service department with a free car wash with every visit. And, you know, the saying Conquerville Cares has been there for a long time. Well, it's there because it's been a fact for a long time. They were the first Subaru Nation Love Promise Dealer winner back in 2015. They've spent now over eight years supporting Nemours Children's Hospital of Delaware. They adopt 15 classrooms at Marcus Hook Elementary School, allowing teachers to pick up to $500 of classroom supplies each. And they're continuing right now to the time. Uh, there were the donation of thousands of coats to La Humanidad Hispania in Kennett Square. They've done that for over 10 years. So uh, check them out, Conquerville Subaru. Visit ConquervilleSubaru.com online. Again, you can check out the pre-owned inventory, list of incoming vehicles, and check out the showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills. And remember, Conquerville cares. From the fourth period.com, north of the border, it is Anthony DeMarco. What's going on, Ant? Not much, man. Uh, pretty, I guess, eventful weekend for the Flyers, taking down Claude Giroux in Ottawa. But, I mean, Ottawa is another team that's reeling right now in the Eastern Conference. The, the Eastern Conference is so tight right now that it feels from, like, day to day, you go from, like, a hero to a zero. It's absolutely nuts what we're seeing right now in the East. It is nuts. Uh, Flyers handed them their fifth straight loss. And, you know, they won four. They lost their first two, won four straight, and then lost five. But the thing about that game, man, to me, I didn't love the first period of the game. Yeah. Um, but the second period, killing off four power plays from Ottawa, getting the only goal of the period to put him up 2-1 from Zach McEwen. And I just really loved that period. I thought it was really resilient. And the process after the first 10 minutes of the first period and for the remainder of the game, like we always say, yeah, they won, but the process, it's unsustainable. Well, the process in that game was pretty fucking good. Yeah. You know, they Even in the first period, they had – they. It was 53 to 47 possession numbers in the Flyers' favor. 
And then yeah. I came back a little in the second, by the way, eight power play minutes, basically. But um, but still, there was shot. They got outshot in the game, but there was good shot suppression, not letting them get into the inside. And I, I thought it was their best process game of the year. Yeah, for sure. Like, look, it, it still was not perfect by any stretch, but it was one of the first games. And I didn't catch it live. I had to just go over it quickly the next day and then go over, like, the stat sheet and everything. But by all accounts, it was a very good process game by their standards. So obviously, there's still work to do. And Torts has been very steadfast in that approach that he's not letting the record fool him. Like, he knows exactly what this team is. But look, you know, you're 11 games in now, and you're three games above hockey 500, 6-3-2. You've picked up a decent amount of points here, and you're the last team out of a playoff spot, and that's with some games in hand. Like, the Rangers, who had just passed them, are uh, have two games oh, over them, I think. Oh, there we go. We're back. <laughs> so... So, I mean, like, look, like, no matter how they've done it, like, they've been picking up points, and we all know that it's not sustainable. I remember Mike Kelly from the NHL Network, I believe it was two, three weeks ago, said on TSN 69 that because of the process, he would have been shocked if the Flyers were over 500 after 10 games. And I love Mike Kelly. I think he's the absolute best guy when it comes to analytics. But just kind of goes to show you that even sometimes if it looks unsustainable and the numbers are saying one thing, some teams have something going here. And look, obviously, the way Carter Hart is playing, arguably the best goalie in the NHL right now, maybe save for Jake Ottinger or Connor Hellebuck. But, you know, he's maintained this pace of play. And look, we've seen that whenever Felix Sandstrom is in net, the Flyers are unable to, you know, pick up those points, especially in that same fashion. But look, I mean, at this point, they've picked up a lot of points. And after 11 games, they're three games over Hockey 500. So you got to give them credit where credit is due. Let me give you a couple of teams. Tampa Bay Lightning, they're a good team, right? Pretty Toronto. good. Toronto's straightening it out. They're a good team. Colorado, Edmonton, the Islanders, the Panthers, the Rangers. I'll give you Calgary, Washington, Nashville. I'll throw in there the Penguins. All those teams. You know what they all have in common? Go for they're it. All below the Flyers in points percentage. <laughs> it's crazy. Can you fucking believe that? So the Flyers are eighth in the NHL in points percentage. They've played less games. They've played 11 games. Some of these teams like Vegas is number one, 846 points percentage at 11 and two, 13 games. The Bruins are number two at 833. Then it's the Devils who got off to a scruffy start. They were chanting fucking fire Lindy. And now they're nine and three. (laughs) It's crazy. With a 750 winning percentage. Dallas is up there who we'll see on Sunday. Carolina and Dallas actually tied. And then Winnipeg, Detroit, and the Flyers at 636 with a record of 6-3-2. Hart is 6-0-2 on the season, but they're ahead of Tampa Bay, Toronto, Colorado's at 591, Edmonton's at 583. I mean, it's still a small sample size, Ant, but that's pretty absurd when you consider what those teams have and what the Flyers have. It's why it's such a bizarre game. It's a very bizarre game. And, you know, if you go through – the players, you know, one by one, I think it's hard to find one flyer that's had like an individually bad season in terms of their expectations, right? Like obviously Ristolainen has been terrible so far for the most part that found him on the bench towards said as much today that he's not happy with the way he played. Obviously Morgan Frost had a tough outing against the Rangers, but then had a really good bounce back after being scratched against the Leafs. And he plays very, very well against the Senators, but... I liked him in the Sens game in, in minimal ice time, too. Ten minutes. 
Exactly. Like he really bounced back hard. And I mean, it just goes to show you that sometimes you need a bit of tough love. And I think that was probably his best game. And look, you still want him to, you know, start the production. But look, by all means, very good game. The stats indicated that. The eye test indicated that. So you love to see that bounce back. But to your point, when you just look at this roster on paper, it's not supposed to be that good. So that's why when you look at this, a lot of these players on individual basis, it's hard to be asking for more. And in some cases, particularly Carter Hart, they're giving you much more than you could even have hoped for here. Yeah. So, I mean, like, look, we know that the process isn't great. We know that, you know, in terms of like overall this season, the Flyers are right at the bottom of the league with the Coyotes and the Ducks in terms of possession, expected goals and all that. But you know, 11 game sample size, like we're past 10% of the season. I think we're like past 12% even, and they're still hanging. And it's not like they're hanging by a thread. Like they even have some decent breathing room here with three games over 500. So it's like you said, like, yes, it's not always been pretty, but you know, this is a decent sample size here and they're hanging or playing above a lot of the really good teams in the NHL. You mentioned the tough love with Morgan Frost and maybe now a little bit with Risto. But I think that the, the tough love thing is even more pronounced with Kevin Hayes and certainly Travis Konechny. So, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, the way that the way that TK responded that night verbally, I thought, and the dichotomy between how he responded and how Hayes responded, those are two different personalities. I will tell you, one of those guys went to the coach after one of them didn't. I'm not going to say who or anything, but um, I know that. But, you know, some every player handles that situation differently. But the way that they both responded, and I think when Torts talked about seeing some things he loved at the end of that Toronto game, it was those two guys. Because they're out there standing up and saying, you know, we may have lost this game tonight, but fuck you. We're always going to show up. And you're always going to know that you played us. And those two players, I think, and that tough love thing, and they may <laughs> end up back there again. <laughs> You okay? made it back there again, right? And for sure, and sitting for a period, for sure. But message received is what I'm saying. Yeah, and look, like we know that these guys aren't perfect, and we know that Kevin Hayes and Travis Konechny on most teams in the NHL are not top line players. Hell, maybe on some teams they're third line players. But you still want to see that effort. You still want to see guys who respond well. And look, I think that Travis Konechny has been their most consistent forward all season long in terms of consistently generating chances in the offensive zone, showing effort. Like, forget the analytics for a second, but the fact of how much effort that guy has shown on a night-in, night-out basis really kind of speaks to how he has responded this year. And look, sometimes I think his effort gets him into trouble. Like, I don't think Travis Konechny's a good defensive player five-on-five by any means. In terms of on-ice expected goal differential, he has the worst. But the difference is, is that you can live with those defensive mishaps if, A, you're producing offensively, which he has, and, B, if you're leaving it on the ice each and every shift, which he has for the most part. So, yeah, does he make mistakes defensively? Does he get caught running around a bit? Yeah, for sure, but you can live with those things. In terms of Kevin Hayes, you know, I think against the New York Rangers, probably their best forward, like you said, against Toronto, played very, very well. And he is a guy that I think that in a lot of ways, and we've seen that in 1920, we saw it a bit in the bubble as well, that when he wants to be, because of his skill set, because of his natural ability, he really can, not maybe not dominate a game, but really stand out in a game. And look, we know 
that more times than not, the Flyers' top line of Farabee, Hayes, and Konechny will be drastically outmatched by the opposing team's top lines. And we understand that. But it's all about keeping relative expectations and just putting in that effort, which they have since being benched against San Jose. Holy shit, what a great term you just used. Relative expectations. That's it. Everything is about relative expectations if you want to remain sane. I, I you have totally, to. totally agree with you. You said that so well. Um, you know, the other thing, like Eric uh, messages in here and says, I've been happy with the way they played. Work hard, don't quit, teamwork, and backing each other up. They are starting to sound like torts. And I think there's something really interesting about that, Ant, because a lot of these guys were here last year, and they know they were easy to play against. They know that Keith Yandel had a really good time here, even though he shouldn't have because they lost so much and it was miserable. Yeah. And I think they all go, you know what? We see these other teams having success in this league. And the way we've been doing things, they, they know it. They're not oblivious to it. Isn't working. So things are going to be different. It may be uncomfortable at times. I may get sat down at times. And I'm going to have to learn some lessons along the way. But because of the last two seasons, these players know that the way they can't continue moving forward like that, both individually and as a group. And that's why I think you have a real openness to the coaching that's being delivered to them at this time. From my opinion, the, the right guy at this time, not only for these players, but for the organization to get back to their DNA. Because Torts does not bullshit anything. He, like the, the way he talks talked about Ristolainen, and the way he talked about TK and Hayes, the way he's talked about Frost and everybody. I think it's really apparent that they all need to hear it and the organization needs to get back to that standard. That's why I, th I think even when he was hired, I, I believe he was the right guy and I love the hire, but even more so as I see the way he handles the day-to-day -day is showing me that they needed him more than I even thought. Yeah, I was very neutral on the hire, not going to lie. He wasn't my first choice. I was just like, oh, did the game pass me by a bit? Trotz was my first choice. For sure. And to be honest, I, I did also like Paul Maurice just because I really like his demeanor. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think that Paul Maurice plays a very high-wheeling type of system, and I think that's the polar opposite of what this team needed. I think you yeah. really need to batten down right. the hatches here and learn how to play structured hockey. Hey, if you go, want to go wheel and deal with Florida with that firepower, have at it. But yeah. in Philadelphia, I don't think that would have worked. But I think that the kind of like the misconception about Torts was that he was kind of like an AV guy where like, okay, you bring this guy in when you're ready to win. Like Peter Laviolette. Like I think that Lavi and AV are like the same type of coaches. Not you're not developmental. No developmental. They're not going to change the way that they coach. They're not going to try and develop guys at the NHL level. Like look at how AV handled Frost. Like whenever Frost came up under AV, he'd be like, okay, how is this guy going to make me win right now? Left wing with Giroux and Atkinson. Left yeah. wing with Giroux and Voracek. Whatever. As opposed to Torts that I think people put him in that same vein. But, you know, you cited examples of his time in New York, in Vancouver, obviously a black stain on his resume. His time in Columbus, where he really has been, first and foremost, not so much developing, but figuring out what the team has and then taking that next step the year or two after that. And I look at what he's done for a guy like Ivan Provorov, and I know that a lot of people turned on this guy last year, but I think Provorov has been brilliant for the most part. Like, I know that a lot of people still 
want him to be more of a two-way dominant guy, wishes that he could be more offensive on that side of the puck. And look, I think we could all agree that he's never probably going to be that elite level number one defenseman, the guy that could dominate at all ends of the ice. But I think that with a guy like D'Angelo, I think with more structured hockey, maybe some more consistency behind the bench with Tortorella and Brad Shaw, I think that you've seen Tortorella, uh, Tortorella <laughs> Provorov really simplify his game here. And I think that in terms of that top pair, you know, I talked about CSXM over the weekend. Like, I think that that has really kind of stabilized the entire team. And you know what? The defense as a whole. Like, look, there's guys that maybe you want to play a bit better. Like, obviously, Ristolainen. And look, I've been a big proponent of Ristolainen, a big defender of him. But he's been absolutely, like, unacceptable play so far. And he deserved to ride the bench. And they got to figure that guy out considering what they invested into him six months ago. I think Travis Sanheim has struggled a bit by his standards. But at the same time, like I talked about last week, they've given him tough deployment and he's been playing the lion's share with a Justin Braun, who I think has been decent for the most part, but you're expecting Aristolainen to be playing there. You know, Zamula, I thought, has played really well. Sealer's been excellent in his role. So as a whole, I think what Tortorella and Shaw have done for that defense have probably been the biggest positive for this team outside of the goaltending. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And you know, it's very interesting. I don't know if you saw the Daily Faceoff article the Frank wrote um, regarding uh, the top defenders. Uh, I'm trying to find the article. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, the top uh, defenders in the NHL. I'm trying to. Th- I want to. I want to get this right so I don't want to screw it up. Sarah. Oh, I spelled his name wrong. That's why. Bring up Frank's article because he was ranked. In the NHL, fifth in – now, I'll give you the categories. It's not it's not Frank r- ranking them, per se. It was uh, GMs that were making this ranking system that Frank put together um, on Daily Faceoff. Let me see. I'm trying to find it here. Sorry. That's the good thing about live content. <laughs> All right, yeah. It's the shutdown defenseman in the NHL. Jacob Slavin is number one. And in the article here, this was put out the other day on uh, November 4th. Today's what, the 7th. So it, t- it tells you how in here he came up with it. And, the, you know, it was the definition of, as their guiding light, he says, with the help of five anonymous NHL GM front office executives, here's the Daily Faceoff's top 20 projected shutdown defensemen for the 22-23 season with their league-wide rank from last season. And number one, Jacob Slavin. Um, and it's, it's got categories like carry denial, D-zone deflect turnover, D-zone pass interception, um, and expected goals allowed. So Ekblad is number two, McAvoy is number three, Jonas Bean is number four, and Travis Sanheim is number five. Part of that is the, the ability to, you know, with his length to break up plays, to get there, his skating ability, all that stuff. I mean, for example, Pareko's six, Petrangelo seven, Mackenzie Weger eight, uh, Damon Severson nine, and De- uh, Devon Taves at number 10. So he's thought of in that in that regard. I know he doesn't have points, and people are looking for points from Sandheim, especially after last year. Uh, and maybe when Risto gets his game point in the right direction, they can kind of develop that chemistry again. Uh, but right now, I mean, I think people look at him and, and – they think he's just an average player. I think he's better. He's not a top pairing guy, 
But to me, he is a guy that is a very good second pairing defenseman. Had he hit the open market this summer? Oh, God. With, yeah, because he, he would have been the top guy. For when sure. the signing took place in in, uh, in Calgary. So You know, the more and more Sanheim has developed here and kind of come into his own, he reminds me a lot, and not so much stylistically, although they have a bit of similarities, but even kind of like the role they play on a team, he's reminded me a lot of Braden Coburn in the sense yeah. that yeah. once upon a time, and even when Coburn first got to Philadelphia, you know, he was playing top pair with Kimo Timonen. He was getting second power play time. I believe it was him and Randy Jones on the second power play unit in like 07, 08. But quickly we found out, and actually Coburn was getting power play time in their cup run as well with Carl on the second unit. But I think that as Coburn kind of grew into his own, the Flyers got Mazzaros. He, he eventually went down to, to Tampa Bay. I think we realized that Coburn was just a very good second pair, ideally three, four defensemen who was meant mostly for five-on-five and defending. And I think that Sanheim, a lot of people latch on to what he was in Calgary, in the WHL, and say, no, he's supposed to be offensive, he's supposed to be this, he's supposed to be that. But, like, look, like, Scott Lawton was the 1C for Team Canada at the World Juniors once upon a time. Like, sometimes you have to change your style of play to fit in the NHL. And I think that we've seen numerous times here, and, you know, five coaches at the NHL level – have not used Stenheim on the power play. And I think that more and more, and it started last year, we started to see him get more tough D-zone deployment. And like I talked about last week, is that more and more in the NHL, your number one defenseman can't be killed in the defensive zone at five-on-five. Like we see that in Nashville, where everyone loves Roman Yossi, and there's a obviously that's well-deserved. But Matthias Ekholm eats a ton of those defensive mids. We yep. saw it in the Tampa Bay Cup runs with Hedman getting a break from guys like Ryan McDonough. We like It's just become commonplace now that you have one pair that really eats those tough minutes five on five in the D zone, and then your top pair eats the lion's share of the minutes, helps you on those special teams, and could kind of help you moving the puck up ice and offensively. And they've decided to go with that, with that uh, system with Sanheim. And I think that, look, has he played as good as last season? No. Could you stand to see a little more points? For sure. But given the deployment he's gotten, the lack of offense from the Flyers forwards, and, you know, I would say the subpar partners, to say the least, beside him, I think that he's played decently. Like, I have no real major issues with Travis Sanheim's game. And, like, to your point, like, look, I'm objective. Ristolainen's been god-awful. And I think that... in terms of Ristolainen, I think that they have miscast him so bad in Philadelphia that they've had this idea that he, because of his size and because of the way he plays, like he can be like this stay-at-home shutdown guy, like an Eric Chernak. But it's I don't never think been him. Yeah. it's never been. And like you look at what he did in Buffalo, the biggest asset he had was helping out offensively. And the Flyers just, whether it had been AV, Yo, and now Tortorella, and I get that the Flyers don't have the luxury to try and play Ristolainen that way. But I don't see how it's ever going to work with you trying to deploy Sanheim with Ristolainen as your defensive zone heavy five-on-five. But to swing back to Sanheim, I think individually, yeah, you want him to help out a bit more offensively. But given the circumstance he's been dealt, I really don't have any major issues with the guy. Yeah, I agree. You know, you look at Risto, he he put up 44-plus points, I think, four years in a row. In yeah. Buffalo, 
you know, a, a lot of that came on the power, power play there, but yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, and he's got a big shot from the point too. It, he is, you see a guy's stature and sometimes you assume he is a certain type of player based on their stature. And that, that's a little bit dangerous, I think. And I think that's the case with, with Risto as well. Uh, it's going to be a really busy weekend. You got the blues tomorrow night who've been really scrappy and scraping by right now. Not, not playing well at all. They got to figure out what they're going to do there. I'm sure chief is just pulling out his eyebrows at this point. So you got the blues coming up tomorrow night. Then you go to Columbus. So you got two games against teams that um, I'm not going to call them inferior, but aren't playing great to start the season. And then this weekend, you have the back-to-back at home. Drew comes to Philly on Saturday at 1 o'clock, and then Sunday you get a good Dallas team that comes in at 1 o'clock. So four games in the remainder of this week. So it's a busy week, and you're coming off a game where you played pretty darn well against Ottawa. I mean, I I, I don't know. This week I think is really interesting because the adrenaline of the first month is worn off now, and it's kind of like, okay, what is this team? If they have a really successful week, like, you're getting close to that American Thanksgiving date. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's the thing. It, it's always like that, that it's, it's slowly, but surely getting close to that date, like to your point. And that's always kind of been like the litmus test, right? Yeah. That, like that's, that's, that's all you're there or you're not. And look, like I'm going to stay steadfast that like, I would not be surprised if, you know, shit fell off the rails here because of their underlying process. But at the same time, as we start getting a larger and larger sample size and they're not stringing together a lot of losses. And I think that's one thing here that is going to keep them hanging around more uh, longer rather than we would have maybe expected was because I don't think that this is a team that's going to go on like a five, six, seven, eight game losing streak that really just buries them dead in the water. I think that even if you start losing three out of every five, hypothetically, it's going to mm. take them a while to completely follow the race here. And look, if you're asking me now, do I think they're going to make the playoffs? No. Do you yeah, think, do I think that they're going to be, you know, down to the wire to make the playoffs? Probably not. But I don't think that this is going to be a situation that a lot of people are just waiting for them to fall off a cliff. And if anything, they may start playing better hockey as they start getting more accustomed to towards the system as maybe Morgan Frost and a guy who's struggling recently, Noah Cates start to get their game a bit back on track. Maybe Ristolainen could get his head out of his ass and actually start playing like a competent defenseman again. Like I think there's a lot of things that could point to things getting better as opposed to worse. And again, this isn't me saying that they're going to make the playoffs or even come close to it. But I think that, and in a lot of ways, this could be someone's worst nightmare, you know, being in that hockey purgatory. And I get that. But I mean, in terms of an on-ice perspective and the team playing, I don't know if things are necessarily going to get worse. Maybe their record may slip a bit because they've overachieved so much. But I don't know if the process is going to get worse. Maybe it's going to get even better. See, I don't, the thing that I'm not sure about is if thing, if, you know, the process erodes i don't think this coaching staff just stands by no coaching staff stands by and lets it happen but yeah torts does something that other coaches staffs don't do he'll bench anybody yeah he'll bench, he does not care who it is what you what you've done what you what you're projected to do what you're getting paid 
you know, how long or how short you've been in the league, if you're not doing the right things, you're going to sit down. So it's a, it's a way to bring everything to a head much quicker than the way other coaches may do it. Other coaches may shade a little ice time here and there, but they don't just flat out sit you down, whether that's for an entire period or welcome to the press box with us eating popcorn. You know what I mean? So because I they don't have that luxury. Yeah, they don't. And and it's just not the way he operates. So I think that's an, another element of it too. You know, will they have these projected, protracted periods of time where they just are total shit? I mean, and the other, I mean, obviously the other part of it's heart. I mean, he's been so good. The save percentage is not going to, I mean, look, he's going to get pulled from a game this year because he gives up a lot of goals. He's going to go out and he's not going to have it. That's going to happen. It's a long season. It's a lot of games. But, and right now he's covered up for a lot of mistakes or substandard play. But overall, he's just been spectacular so far this year. I mean, to, he's the team's MVP. He and Connect Me. But, geez, I mean, like Eric messaged in and says, Do you see them getting a backup goalie? Uh, do you see this team getting backup goalie a win? Uh, they play different with Hart anywhere on camp. Well, the reason why they play different with Hart is, well, A, he's playing great, and B, Sandstrom's only been in there in back-to-back situations. That yeah. He's in a disadvantageous position. It's why being a back goalie is not – it's not an easy gig. You nope. know, you don't play that often, so the rhythm of your season's always disjointed. A lot of times when you get in there, it's in a – in a position that's not great because your team played four and six days and you got the last game of that, they're tired or they're on a back-to-back. It's not an easy job. And I'm not in favor of them going out and getting some veteran at this point. you got to see how this kid handles it. I think he's played decent, Felix, but he hasn't been great. I think he's made some great saves and had stretches where he played really well, but he's given up a couple of muffins that I didn't like. You know, just not regaining his feet and, and sharp angle situations and that kind of stuff. But he, he also hasn't played a lot. So he's got to go through this whole season. Again, this season for me is not about the playoffs. It's about knowledge. And I think that's we got to keep that part, you know, it, it, as part of the equation. Yeah, and that's why I was okay with rolling into the season with Sandstrom as your backup. You know, you drafted this guy, what, seven and a half years ago? You got to yeah, figure out what else. And, you know, what else did this guy have to prove at the AHL level? I I honestly don't think so. And I think that he's kind of one of those weird situations where, like, maybe not too good for the AHL, but, like, it just wouldn't behoove you in any way to have him in the AHL. But you also wanted to see if he could make it in the NHL. And, look, I I agree. Like, I don't think any of the games that Sandstrom's played, you could say, like, okay, he's the reason why they lost. I think that there's games where you could say he could have been better but, yeah, you do want to see him get a win because I think that at times he's played good enough for them to win. And he has been thrown into, you know, tough situations. But as a backup goalie, like you said, that is basically your job is to go in in disadvantageous situations on back ends of back-to-back. And give you a chance. And give you a chance. And I think that maybe Toronto was – and he was even fighting the puck on, like, dumpins and stuff. Like, yeah. he just didn't look comfortable at all. But save for the Toronto game, where else did he play? He played it against San Jose and Florida. I think in those two games, you know, from an individual perspective, he was okay. I think he was fine. Like, I, I thought think... he was fine. He just got no offensive support in the game. 
Exactly. And I think even going back to last season, he's been decent. I think he's been okay. Passable backup goalie. Is he a surefire slam dunk to consistently be there? Probably not. But who knows? I think that what, like, there's no reason to, you know, really try and go, go out and get another backup. I know Eric isn't suggesting that, but in terms he of them before playing, though, <laughs> Okay, well, there you go. Like, I just, the Flyers going out to go get another backup to me is just useless. There's no point to it. It's like saying, like, oh, let's go out to get a centerman at this point. Well, no. And to be honest, I think, and if you follow the beat reporters, I think that Anisimo is going to join this team at some point or another. Talking with people with the organization over the last month or so. It's like they wouldn't directly confirm it, but every time I asked, it would be like, well, he's still here rehabbing, so dot, dot, dot. That's all you you need to know. If he's still here, he's not hanging around if he's not, doesn't know that he's getting a deal when he's healthy. Yeah, he doesn't like Chuck Fletcher and Brent Fleur that much. Like, let's be honest. (laughs) So, look, Anisimov's probably going to come in. I think that he's probably going to end up playing center sooner rather than later because maybe the inconsistency with Noah Cates recently, ditto for Morgan Frost. You want that more like sustainability and predictability down the middle. And then maybe if you get him on a one-year contract, which I would presume, maybe he gets you an asset closer to the deadline. Like I'm going to tell you one thing, though. I think that Justin Braun is going to be a very high, highly sought-after commodity this year because of the injuries we've seen on the back end of some teams. Yeah, he might get you a second-round pick. More than last year. Yeah, because third last I, year, right? Yeah, third last year. I look at the two teams they just played, Toronto, who's dealing with Jake Muzzin, potentially not playing this season, and Ottawa, who desperately needs a stabilizing force on their right side to play with Sanderson or Shabbat or Eric Brandstrom. I think that Justin Braun's one of those guys that checks a lot of boxes for a lot of teams. Total pro, been around a long time, can still give you some decent quality. Um, He's not the player he was, but... And he is never going to cause a problem in a dressing room at all whatsoever, too. I, I agree with you. He's one of those guys, like, if I'm in the situation the Flyers in, I look to sign guys like that for the sheer part of, okay, they're going to help my younger guys this year. And at the deadline, I'm going to move them and I'm going to get some, I'm going to get a second or third round pick yeah. because of that player. Like, I'm not going to have him the whole season and I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm going to get what I can out of him to help young guys be pros. And then I'm going to ship him off because I know he's going to have value at the deadline. And right side defensemen that have a lot of playoff experience and that carry the demeanor that he carries, I think absolutely. that That's well, another reason to sign a guy like him to a one-year deal. Well, when the Flyers were playing the Rangers um, last week, I actually caught the MSG broadcast. And they were singing his praises saying that he did worlds for Braden Schneider in the playoffs and really yeah. kind of helped him along dealing with all that. And I'm pretty sure Braun was playing on the left side. To, to boot last year for the New York Rangers. So, yeah, I've, both, always, yeah. I've always liked Justin Braun, and I think that for the most part this season, he's done his job in a role that you're probably – it's probably elevated. Like, I'm sure they were expecting him to kind of be their third-pairing guy, and he's been their second-pair guy more nights than not because Ristolain has been a tire fire to this point. But, I mean, I think that you're going to get a free asset by re-signing that guy, and maybe oh, even yeah. more from last year. Yep. Um, real quick, did you see the Kachuk play with um, Jonathan Quick? Yeah, I caught it. What the fuck is this dude doing? Like, why would you try and put the blade of your stick inside the cat eye when the goaltender is down like that? I mean, that is as fucking dumb a fucking cement head move as I've ever seen. 
because the only thing, if you get that stick in there, and he clearly did, I didn't get his eye, I didn't damage him badly, but he could have. The only area where that stick can go, if you can get it inside that cat eye, is to the goaltender's eyes. Like, what is wrong with this fuck? Yeah, I, you know, I get that he's trying to play up to a certain role and a certain reputation, and I get that. I love Matthew Kachuk. He's one of my favorite players in the NHL. But that's just, like, an unnecessary piece of shit thing to do because, like, for me, I'm a guy that I have played goalie in the past. I've played out in the past, and it's just, like, goalies to me – unless they willingly try and put themselves in the play, like that doorknob Jordan Bainton has done recently yeah, or over his entire career. Exactly. I always consider them like outside of the play. Like you don't fuck around with goalies. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was just completely like underhanded, and especially to a guy like quick. Like, I mean, he's kind of be- like, aside from maybe Marc-Andre Fleury, he's kind of become like the elder statesman among goalies in the yeah. NHL, unless I'm missing someone. But I mean, him and Craig Anderson I, and, and Flurry are the three guys. Exactly. And look, if you want to go do that to Jordan Bennington because he's being a piece of garbage, have at it. But for a guy like Jonathan Quick, like, come on, like it's just it's just stupidity in my mind. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's just such a fucking asshole move to do. Yeah, unnecessary. I love, I love Quick. I'm a huge fan of Jonathan Quick, and yeah. I just think that that was just such. A, I mean, I think he should have got more than two games. To be honest, with I agree. I agree. Because of the intent. What was your exactly. intent there? Yeah, but. exactly. Um, one last thing. Mitchell Miller and <sighs> the way that the Bruins handle this is an absolute disgrace that they did not do their homework on this situation. I see that. And Okay, okay, I will. Um, <laughs> it, just an absolute disgrace the way they handled this situation. Look, you know, I am typically someone that believes in second chances. I think that there is something to be said about someone trying to become a better person after making a mistake uh, when they were a teenager or a kid in a lot of ways. But obviously, Mitchell Miller is a very special case in all the worst ways. And he's a guy that has shown no remorse and no intent on becoming a better person. And I believe someone pointed out yesterday that for him, it seemed that this whole thing was nothing more than a nuisance and a roadblock for him to get to the NHL. And with all this taken into consideration and you have all the information for the Bruins to handle it the way they did, I think was just, it's a black eye on an organization that I think otherwise has been a model organization in a lot of ways. Mm, And for them, for their players to openly critique the move and the team to just do a complete 180, what not even 48 hours after signing this guy. I I don't know. I I just, I don't understand it. I mean, the commissioner came out and said he's, he's not eligible to play in the NHL. Yeah. And he may never be. Yeah. I I, I, I don't, I don't get it at all. I really do not get it at all. It's unfortunate. I mean, at least they got it right at the end. That's the whole I'll say for Boston. But aside from that, just absolutely, it was just disgraceful, unnecessary. And like you know, you guys are winning. You guys are like the best team in the NHL right now. Why would you nine one when they did it? It just it, it makes and and the thing is, is I think he's like a right. Not that it matters at all like it's so secondary but it just doesn't even make sense from a hockey level like do you guys need a defenseman right anyway that's all secondary i shouldn't even talk about what it means for them from an on ice perspective just the personal stuff it's just it was unacceptable it was unnecessary 
and just something that I can't even believe really took place, to be honest with you. I totally agree with you. It's well said. And great stuff, man. Uh, thanks for doing this as always. Read and stuff on the fourth period.com and uh, follow him on Twitter at Marco 25 Thanks, brother. Thanks, man. Talk to you next week. There he is, Anthony DeMarco on Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. Get the Bet Parks app. Great time to get it in on the action. Same game parlays, live in game betting, player performances, same game, all of it. It's all there for you on all the sports football, college, and pro. You got hoops, you got hockey, you name it. Formula One back this weekend in Brazil. Take it from me. The Bet Parks app is everything you're going to want in mobile casino and sports book. We'll give you the Broad Street Boost coming up on Wednesday as well. Chance for you to get a great boosted uh, play for Wednesday night's games. So make sure you're, I'll tell everybody about it. I'll tweet it out. We'll do the whole thing on Wednesday. And uh, download the Bet Parks app today. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. You can be over 21. You need to be present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Also visit Conquerville Subaru. Check out ConquervilleSubaru.com. You can see their certified pre-owned inventory, a list of incoming Subaru vehicles, beautiful dealership and Glenn Mills on Route 202. Oh, it's a fantastic place. Great service department with a free car wash with every visit. All the great work they can do and have done and continue to do in the community, whether that's with the uh, uh, La Humanidad, Hispania uh, in Kennedy Square, the donation of coats, Nemours Children's Hospital, Delaware, Marcus Oak Elementary School. They continue this great work. So make sure you check it out. Go visit Cockerville Subaru on Route 202 and Glen Mills. Uh, again, visit ConquervilleSubaru.com and check out the showroom. And remember, Conquerville cares. All right, we'll be back Wednesday. Brand new episode, Al Morganti, the pending Hockey Hall of Famer, is going to be our guest on Wednesday's episode of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Can't wait to talk to Alphonse. It'll be a lot of fun. But everybody, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And we'll talk to you coming up on episode 15 Wednesday with Al Morganti on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great day, everybody. Talking to my old die Life is what you make it